Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. We're going to get to our good friend Bill Williamson in one second. But before we do, hey, it's your time to buy or sell a home. And Reality Realty One Group wants to be the one to be part of your story. Yes, the housing market is hectic, but it's still a great time to sell and even buy the home of your dreams. You'll need hardworking real estate agents to get it done. And they've got you at the Realty One Group. They know the market. They know the neighborhoods. They know the transactions. They know how to get it done for you. Realty One Group was founded in Las Vegas, and it's been their home for more than 11 years. They've been operating doors, opening doors for their clients and opening doors for real estate professionals to live better lives. They are also proud to give back to the community, donating their time and resources to make an impact. So whether you're selling or buying, call them today at the Realty One Group at 888-461-0101. Without further ado, we're going to go back out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend from SB Nation Silver and Black Pride, Bill Williamson. How you doing, my friend, Bill? Vinny, how you doing, man? I'm Thanks doing. Yep, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always appreciate uh, the time that you give us uh, here uh, on in the huddle. All right, so um, the draft is complete. Uh, the Raiders continue to tinker with their roster. They just added another running back, lo and behold, uh, today. And uh, I want to get into that with you. But uh, snap judgment, Bill Williamson, on what the Raiders did this year in the draft. Well, it's interesting. You know, I think the thing that stood up out to me was the aggressiveness of Dave Ziegler in his first draft with the Raiders. You know, he goes in there, he trades his first two picks for a superstar, so he he shows that he's, you know, willing to to not be married to the picks, as we know uh, so colorfully a lot of GMs haven't been lately, so he joined that uh, that fray. And, you know, ESPN had a cool nugget last week that New England, since the turn of the century, has led the league in draft pick trades, and David Eagle has been there for several years, of course. So I was wondering, hey, is that going to be his tack? And it certainly was, because he makes four trades. Um, you know, and while he's on the clock, and it was fascinating, he trades 126, and he gets it back, you know, another third of the Vikings. So that aggression kind of stood out. Um, the fact, I, I think, I'm just thinking of the things that were kind of in my head, the headline, that the running back in the fourth round, certainly, I mean, not a great day for Josh Jacobs' future. Not a great weekend, rather, for Josh Jacobs' future in Las Vegas. Friday, he finds out he doesn't get the fifth-year option. And then the Raiders, you know, pick White, who can play this year. And they also pick another running back in the seventh round. So, certainly, it doesn't mean he's not going to be here next year. But, I mean, I think all signs are pointing that way um, now. And then, you know, the, the doubling up at three positions, Um Picked you know the Raiders picked a championship player in White from Georgia. That's three years in a row, two two different regimes, but also kind of looking for the same type of pedigree of players. So those are kind of the headlines in my mind. Uh, by the way, the Raiders did add another running back today. Uh, sincere and sincerely, they did. Sincere McCormick. Yep. Uh, from the University of Texas in San Antonio. Had some nice numbers, by the way, uh, at, uh, at, at, at uh, Texas San Antonio. Uh, so he gets thrown into the mix. And I want to stay right there because you mentioned Josh Jacobs. Obviously, they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. It doesn't preclude them uh, no. from extending the relationship uh, further. But, you know, uh, the money factor uh, and all that comes into play. However, I, and I wanted to talk to you about this, Bill, and certainly today's move and drafting Britton Brown and drafting uh, Zamir White. 
Are we, and you, you look, you, you mentioned the history of the Patriots and how uh, they've been moving up at the, tr- uh, the, the, the draft board for years with trades. When you look at that running back room and you look at running back in general, um, are, are, are Raider fans to get used to maybe this is how that running back position is going to get played? You draft guys, develop them, get the most you can out of them, and then while they're heading into the last year or so of their contract, you know, draft their replacement and just get as many bodies and just get a cycle going in there. Is that kind of what Raider Nation should expect with this regime? Yeah, I think that's the way most teams have been looking at it in, you know, in the last decade or so. And, you know, uh, during the draft weekend, which seems quite a while ago, to tell you the truth, many, <laughs> many Google searches ago, um, <laughs> I looked up the, the, the Patriots, um, you know, draft history, recent draft history of running backs, and I don't quite remember. There's been a lot in the last recent years. You know, I think there was a stretch recently where three years in a row. So who's to say? And I looked that up after the, the uh, white pick and before the brown choice, so... And then I'm like, well, i got to change that little factoid. So the point is, yeah, we can see them picking running backs next year. You know, who knows? The fact that they were going to pick, you know, two offensive linemen, two defensive tackles, and two running backs shows that he's not playing by any rules. And, and that's cool. You know, do it. Yeah, I, I think it, uh, I think so as well. Um, and you know what other position the Patriots drafted a lot of? And a lot of times the guys that they hit on most were guys drafted well beyond the first round. That's offensive line. If you look at the yeah. uh, ro- their roster constructor over the year, construction over the years and how they draft players in certain position groups, the offensive line um, has been a position that they've dipped into beyond the first round and typically uncover some nice gems and they get productivity out of them for a period of time. Um, this seems kind of part and parcel with that game plan that they had in, in, in New England now being here in Las Vegas as well, Bill. Yeah, you know, and I, I think, you know, Dave Ziegler in that press conference before the draft gave some hints that, you know, he said, hey, there's, you know, yeah, we don't have any, we don't have a lot of picks. But it is kind of deep in the, you know, at, at that position. And there are plenty of guys on our board in the third round. And that showed by them actually trading down from 86 to 90. Um, and you're right, the, the history is there. And I, I think Dave Ziegler and, and Josh McDaniels are, are very comfortable with their past and what they've learned. They're not, they're not going to, they're, you know, they're certainly going to chart their own way here in, in Las Vegas. But they're not going to shy away from what they, what their roots are. And I don't think any successful professional in any, you know, line of work should do that. Don't be that arrogant. Just do what you learn and, and stick to you, to what you've known. And, you know, he's talked about where, I think he's talking about Champ Kelly. Hey, we've been trained the same way. So he's going, in his head, he's been trained to be this way. So if we're seeing kind of examples of the, quote, Patriot way, there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. And you're just putting your spin on it, you know, and, and yeah. now that he's calling, because there's obviously a difference between making suggestions and making decisions. So ultimately, it's it's going to be Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels putting their spin on what they've learned and, and the information that they've accumulated and how they go about their business. But it will be unique to them in the long run uh, in general. Uh, and, and and Bill, it was it was interesting because on draft night, Thursday night, um, you know, uh, a, a source of mine in the NFL gave me a heads up on who the Raiders drafted before it was all announced. And so it was Dylan Par- Parham, center Memphis, or Mem- the Memphis center. And it was the first time that I had really seen center 
described or, or, or alongside Dylan. I know that you know that certain people saw him as a center, but I was like center. I thought he was a guard. But lo and behold, you know there might be a chance that he ends up as a center here in the NFL. What are you hearing in terms of what Dylan's long range uh, future is uh, at either position, guard or center? Yeah, I think it's you know it depends on you know who's coaching him. I think the Raiders are open to to both, um, and I think they're open to new starters everywhere in the future. I don't think they're married to Andre James, so to speak, because of the the old previous regime gave him a contract. It wasn't you know it wasn't a contract that they can't get out of. Right. I'm not saying it's saying that they're going to do that anytime soon. I'm saying it's wide open. I think the entire offensive line is wide open and. I think it's going to be a fascinating, you know, mini camp and off-season program on the field portion, and then certainly in training camp, and, and you know, and certainly in the preseason games before we really know exactly what what it's going to look like. And they could always add to the offensive line, but yeah, Parham could be a, a center. Um, he could be a guard. I, you know, wide open there. And I don't think we. I think we can wait. You know, Leatherwood when he was the 17th pick, and certainly a surprise 17th pick. Where he played is a little bit more important, you know, especially value at number 17 pick. But, uh, you know, on a rookie third-round pick, number 90, doesn't necessarily have to – wasn't necessarily started – drafted to start right away. I think we can wait and wa- wait to see his development first before wondering, freaking out, oh, he's not a center yet. Oh, man, they, they moved him from guard. You know what I mean? I think it's more of a developmental thing than anything. Yeah, and I think that um, there's there's still time. I know uh, July seems like it's right around the corner, but there's definitely still time for um, you know Josh McDaniels and his coaching staff now to kind of get a handle on on what it's going to look like and and where the pieces are going to fit. Uh, but if we're just sitting here throwing darts um, at this point, how do you see the offensive line potentially shaping up from a from a starter standpoint? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think, and this is just just gut from, you know, McDaniel said this offseason that, hey, we know that Leatherwood was drafted to be a right tackle. And he basically said we're not opposed to that, right? right? And then, and then they, they didn't go get a, a right tackle. So that makes you think maybe they, they're going to start him out at right tackle and see how that goes. And I think Parham could be a guy that they, 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 they would certainly like to if he if he's ready to start, he probably would start, and so that brings you you know at guard position. So that brings you to Good or or, or Simpson, who's the best player, and probably lean towards Simpson since he was the healthy one last year and he's the younger one. Um, but again, I, I I'm fascinated to see what the uh, what the actual lineup is going to be. But you know those three guys with Miller and James, of course, I would that that would be my first guess. Yeah, um, and I, I can't wait to, to actually see what it looks like. We'll get a chance during OTAs to kind of get a sneak peek of where guys are lining up, but I am not uh, going in with any preconceived ideas. I think that no. I think that we're going to see some surprises probably and like yep. head scratchers, and, and it's all going to be, uh, you know, with the goal in mind, again, uh, like Dave and, and Josh have talked about, trying to find the best five-man combination, and, um, and I – I don't have any doubt that that's exactly what they're going to do, and it's not going to matter, I don't think, where guys were tra- drafted, what position they were drafted for. Uh, whatever they believe is the best five is what they're going to roll with, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how that ends up looking. All right, uh, Bill, uh, on the other side of the ball, 
Uh, the Raiders started the offseason, you know, after, especially after you know signing uh, Chandler Jones with uh, a couple of really good, great to be uh, pass rushers in Max Crosby uh, and, and Chandler Jones and Clee Farrell maybe being a, a role player somewhere along the line and Malcolm Coons. We'll see what happens with him. But in the interior. There wasn't much at all, but you know, two months later or so, uh, that that position group has certainly uh, been addressed with a lot of different bodies, a lot of different p- uh, prototypes, a lot of different skill sets. Uh, what was uh, your um, uh, thoughts on on what the Raiders did, especially in the interior of the defensive line this year? Yeah, I wasn't surprised they drafted one. You know, Farrell in the fourth round from LSU. Maybe a little surprised they came back in the fifth round because they did so much work. At, you know, in free agency, it's a really incredible transformation from this year's uh, defensive tackle look from last year's, and especially since last year was a huge, you know, Gus Bradley, remember him, um, he brought in so many different guys, and, and he had success. I thought the real success to the defense last year was the Gus Bradley additions, and, you know, guys like, you know, Jefferson and, and, and Thomas and Bylon, they really played a role in that. The Raiders got decent defensive uh, tackle play last mm-hmm. year. But, you know, you knew there was going to be change because those guys are all in one-year deal and it's a new system. Um, so it, it was an opportunity. So now we get to see what, you know, Nichols does and Hankins is going to have an opportunity. And, you know, there's Butler, there's Petco, there's a lot of guys. Um, you know, maybe not all will make the team either. I mean, we see that all the time. Guys get signed in free agency and then they don't make it. I mean, happened a lot last year with the Raiders, last couple of years, I believe. So there might be a couple guys, veterans, that don't make it. Um, you know, it, it kind of that depends on the rookies, right? I, I think Butler is an interesting player. He's a little different because he, he's a guy who, who I, people think can get some uh, pass rush juice. And he's also versatile. And he, and he can move around and can swing out the defense and in it. In a pinch, and I, I think I really like the head on his shoulders. He was a leader at, at Tennessee, and somebody I talked to said he, he's extremely NFL-minded, and I thought that was really a, a cool way to describe the young player uh, who hasn't played in the league yet. So he's the kind of guy I have my eye on. It. You know, maybe he can carve out a nice little career for himself. Yeah, I felt the same exact way uh, talking to him uh, as well on, on that Saturday. That matters. Yeah. yeah, oh, well, without question, uh, it matters. It almost gets underrated in a lot of ways, but it certainly does. Uh, and we're talking to Bill Williamson. You can follow him at B. Williamson NFL. He does a great job uh, over at SB Nation covering the Raiders and the NFL and silverandblackpride.com. Uh, uh, Bill, all right, so we you know, we got the, uh, the post yesterday from Trayvon Mullen. Uh, headed into surgery, and then yeah. the post-surgery post uh, that uh, that everything went well. Uh, at this point, I don't think there's any question uh, that you have to put a question mark next to Trayvon Mullen. You know, he missed most of last year with a foot and and, and toe injury, so we'll have to to see where the, where all that is headed and what it looks like. You know, when training camp and beyond. Uh, so now it throws a little bit of a monkey wrench uh, into that uh, cornerback room, and I know that they're hoping that he's going to be okay. He's obviously hoping that as he goes into a big year. Uh, you've got Rock Yassin, you've got Anthony Averett, you've got Darius Phillips. Um, there's there, there are bodies there and some young players that are playing motivated to earn you know new new contracts for themselves. But, you know, with Trayvon, with the surgery and everything like that, um, how concerned are you uh, at cornerback? And could the Raiders maybe make a play for a guy by the name of James Bradbury in New York? Yeah, I guess it really depends, uh, you know, as far as concern about Mullen is uh, what it was. And, 
And how long is it going to be? It's as simple as that. I mean, I, I hate to speculate at all. He, he He's the one that put it out in his words. Yes. Like, it almost made you sound like it was, you know, things happen for a reason. I promised to be back. Those are that sounds like, oh, no, you know, what's going on here? Right. But then he said it's nothing serious. And um, so who knows? But, I mean, the point is, well, it's only, you know, May 4th, and camp starts in two months. And, I mean, if you're going to have a cleanup, you think you would have had a cleanup in January. Again, I don't like speculating on this stuff, but who knows? Right. But as far as Bradbury, yeah, I mean, there's the Giants GM today basically say it's going to be resolved by the end of the week. That would certainly make you think that the Ravens would be an interesting party. And Graham coached in the last two years. One of the years he was a, a pro bowler. Um, the Raiders have a need there. You know, I think even before Mullen, you know, I, you know, I would say it's a need. It's something they would like to address. I mean, certainly. So I don't know how pressing it is. But so that's a, you know, there's a certain uh, dot connecting there. Uh, but the deal would be the money. And the Raiders could probably swing it in three to four weeks. But... When an established cornerback hits the market, there is aggressive interest. And there are a lot of teams out there that could get a deal done that would probably satisfy him now. So it might be a matter of timing for the Raiders. But, you know, if he gets cut until he is signed elsewhere, I think that the Raiders are a place that you'd have to consider as a possible destination for a project. No doubt. And when Bill talks about, uh, you know, um, the three or four weeks down the road, keep in mind, uh, after June 1st, the Raiders get money uh, under the cap with the um, uh, Corey uh, Littleton release becoming official and um, a couple other players uh, becoming a, a, a NASIB becoming official uh, after yeah. June 1st. So there's money waiting for them under the cap here in about a month or so, um, almost exactly a month, to be honest with you. So, you know, uh, as Bill said, keep a track of that because if he does get released – uh, and he doesn't sign for a little while. That's probably bodes well for for the Raiders. Um, and you know, you can you can uh, connect the dots there and understand why there might be some. Hey, just hold on. We're circling back to you when we can. And if he's you know interested in doing that, um, then maybe this will take a little while uh, for it to come to fruition. So we'll see. Or the Raiders can make some other moves to free up the necessary money uh, ASAP. We'll see how that goes. But I think the Raiders might be interested, uh, and, and we'll see. All right, last question for you, Bill. Uh, I know it's early. We don't know what the offensive line is going to look like. We don't know if James Bradbury is going to be on the roster at any point. We don't know exactly how the running back room is going to look like, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we're in the business of making projections and making predictions. Uh, yeah, uh, as we look at this AFC West, and it seems like everybody except for maybe the Kansas City Chiefs got better, uh, including the Raiders. Uh, where at this point would you say that the Raiders kind of slot in uh, in a much improved AFC West? And it was already pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, I, two or three, you know. I, I'm not sold on, on the Broncos being this instant, you know, Leapfrog the Raiders and being a true Super Bowl contender as others are. I, you know, I like the roster, and certainly they got better at quarterback. But you know, let's see. I, I'm not poo-pooing that at all, but I'm just not completely sold on it. I would, I would think the Raiders are better. I, I think the Chargers are really good, but the Chargers are very frustrating on game day a lot. You know, and they got to they got to get rid of that. They got to somehow, and that's something that's been coach after. So, and I think Sherry's a good coach. I think he gets a little into it too much. You know, he's got to, he's got to take a breath sometimes. But I think he's a good coach. If he takes the next step, um, 
you know, they can be in business because the quarterbacks are real deal and they got a really good roster. Um, and, you know, I think the Chiefs are really good. You know, it's weird. I, I like, I don't know if it's weird, but I, I, I like the Devontae Adams trade for the uh, Raiders. And I like the Kansas City Chiefs trade of, of to retail for the Chiefs. Two, you know, they're, they're opposites, right? Right. And, uh, I, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to be better this year without them, but I think they're going to uh, be just fine. I think they did really good in the draft. I, I think they're well-coached, they're well-managed, and they're well-quarterbacked. I, I think they're going to be fine. So I, I don't know if the Chiefs have slid back to the pack. Um, they'll really, there's, the one thing I don't like about the Raiders this year is that the AFC is really, really good. And I think the Raiders are in that clump, but there's the clumps like ten deep, nine deep, right? And, yeah. and 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 there's only seven go. So that's that would be my only concern about the Raiders. And I don't and and, and that's not a knock on them, that's just kind of the reality is they gotta find a way to 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 get in that mix. And they did the best they could by adding those two stars. Um but Boy, I mean, because that, that, those first two days without Adams, or well, that first day without Jones and without Adams was kind of scary. They were kind of naked, you know, because everybody else was doing something. And they're really good teams. And, and, and they countered and they answered. And now it's their time to, to show it on the field. Yeah, without a doubt, and I know Raider Nation was, uh, they were angst uh, to, to the uh, millionth degree in that two-day period. Dave Ziegler about it in Florida. Like, oh, I, I understood. Uh, all, all my friends were sending me all the uh, the memes uh, indicating the, the the angst. So uh, he had a a pretty funny forty eight hours or so before yeah. dropping the bombs that that he dropped and getting everybody reeled back in. So uh, it, it's always interesting to hear from that perspective as as the world is crumbling around you and you're like. Just hold on. We know what we're doing here. So, uh, and he certainly did. He certainly pulled off. He and Josh McDaniels did. Well, whatever happens, Bill Williamson is always going to be around uh, to help us out. We truly appreciate it. The only problem is that the games don't start next week, although I'm sure every team in the league is pretty happy about that right now as they go about uh, trying to get ready for training camp and get ready for what's going to be an amazing season. Uh, Bill, thanks for spending some time with us. Truly appreciate it. We'll talk to you down the road. All right, Benny. Take care, man. You got it. That is Bill Williamson from uh, uh, Swart Nation. Does a tremendous job. Uh, always a great follow. Always has great information. And we always appreciate him dropping by and spending some time with us in the huddle. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila in Bajador Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Our thanks again to Bill Williamson, uh, Nation. Does a great job covering the Raiders. I've known him for a long, long time and uh, an excellent reporter. And I know just like everyone that we've talked to, Benjamin Albright today, uh, we're going to talk to Rich Orenberger, uh, the former NFL player, uh, in just a little bit. Um, but uh, it's, it's just so fascinating with this AFC West and how teams are going to navigate what are going to be treacherous waters. You're going to have six games if you're the Raiders or the or the, excuse me the, uh, the the Broncos or the Chargers or the Kansas City Chiefs that are just going to be real high level football um, and it's going to be difficult to, uh, to to navigate that and it's going to obvi- the good news for the Raiders is 
I don't care who they're playing this year. Um, I feel like whoever they're playing, they're able to look everybody in the eye. Um, you know, understanding that there's that they can compete on a talent from a talent perspective. Has that always been the case uh, here with the Raiders? No, uh, I don't think it has been the case. I think they went into games kind of knowing that it's going to be an uphill climb talent wise. I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, and that's a good thing. And now it's going to come down to you. Do you execute? Can you make the adjustments? And the normal things that football or how football games are, are determined. Uh, but talent-wise, I think the Raiders are going to be able to look everybody uh, straight in the eye. And to help us out with that question and to understand where the Raiders are and everyone else in the AFC West, we're going to turn to our good friend uh, in San Diego, Rich Ornberger, former NFL player. Uh, he is now a host on Extra 1360 in San Diego, also works for Fox Sports Radio uh, as an analyst for San Diego State University uh, and an NFL analyst over at NBC San Diego. Rich Ornberger, thanks so much for spending some time uh, with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really good, Vinny. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. We're trying to make sense of the AFC West. And I know that, um, you know, there's a lot that's going to determine how it all turns out and a lot of time in between that determination, but uh, it's what we do. And especially now that the draft, uh, there's a bow that was put on the draft and, you know, uh, most teams have done all their heavy lifting in terms of the roster. I know that there's still some tinkering going on, including here in Las Vegas, but you know, from, from where you're uh, sitting there on the beach in San Diego, uh, and you look at this AFC West, you know, are you surprised at how good it got and how quickly it got that there? And and how do you size it up if you are able to right now? Man, that is a, a great question. And it really is difficult to answer how we got here, but we know why we're here. Um, we're here because the AFC West is loaded at the most important position in all of sports, and that's quarterback position. When you look around and you see a Herbert and a Mahomes and a Wilson and a Carr, you understand that you can hang with any division in the National Football League, and there's a pretty good chance if, you know, health prevails that a, a AFC champion could come from the AFC West, and for, for that very reason, because if you have a great quarterback, if you have an elite-level quarterback, you can take your season as far as as it could possibly go and that's what we're looking at there is no weak spot across this division you can make an argument for any one of these quarterbacks to finish the season on an mvp campaign especially with the weapons that they're surrounded by this is the i look i i don't want to be hyperbolic because we we do that you know what i mean recency bias all that stuff but this is arguably the most stacked we've seen a division in the National Football League in a very, very long time. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, I, I, Raider, Nation, Raider Nation and Raider fans, uh, some of them freak out. Well, we've got the fourth best quarterback in the division. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, but think about who else is in this division and where your quarterback truly is. Being the fourth best, quote-unquote, quarterback in, in this division also puts you among the top, what, 10, 11 quarterbacks, 12 quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's not a bad place to be, right? No, no, it's a great place to be. <laughs> you know, if if you are, even if if it pans out where Derek Carr is is in actuality statistically gameplay wise, you know, per per any metric, the fourth best in the AFC West, it doesn't mean that the Raiders can't win a Super Bowl because you could argue that potentially you could have every single one of these uh, quarterbacks in the top ten come the end of the league year statistically. Uh, and from the way they play. So I, I don't think that's – when, when you're talking about 
this division, at this point, you're splitting hairs on paper in terms of offensively how significant uh, these teams can play. I'm I'm so excited. Like, I wish kickoff was tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yes. The most we're going to get is, like, the schedule release next week, but I wish we could kick off this football season next week because this is – I'm dying to see how the Raiders look. I'm dying to see how the rest of – really the the AFC conference look because it, it's it's one of those special seasons where there's a lot of com- competition there's a lot of talent everywhere you look rich um I want to I want to keep it here in Las Vegas for a second or two and um, I'm looking at the Raiders offensive line and I know that it wasn't great last year and um, you know there were there were points in time where it was it just wasn't very good at all um, but they were still able to win 10 games and get to the playoffs there's something to be said about that. Um, if you're looking for a question mark on this otherwise st- stacked offense, it is the uh, offensive line. But, you know, I go back, like, in your history with the Patriots and your kind of knowledge of, of how things work in New England. And if you look at the Patriots and all their success that they've had, and I know obviously Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and all that plays into it, but when you look at their offensive lines over the years, um, it's not like they spent a whole lot of money at that position. It's not like they spent a whole lot of high, high draft picks. In fact, a lot of their offensive lines were built through the third and fourth and even beyond uh, rounds. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's kind of the, the game plan here, you know, uh, with the Raiders. And why is it that they're able that the Patriots were able to do that? Um, and do you think they could pull kind of the same thing off here without stars along the offensive line, but good, just get good, capable players to play good, capable football? Yeah, I think it's possible, and I think you have a head coach who's been indoctrinated to that style of of team building and roster building um, with uh, with with Josh McDaniels. I I look here. Here's the thing: Do you need talent on the offensive line? There's no doubt, but more important than talent, you need you need guys who are smart enough to play the position. You need guys who are technically savvy. And you need players who are all on the same page. And, and a lot of that comes back to health, right? You know, the more consistently players can play together, uh, the better off you're going to be. And that's been a problem for the Raiders in the past as well, So in the, in the recent past. So if they can stay healthy um, and everybody can be on the same page, the, the term that comes to mind when I think about Patriots offensive lines over the years is good enough. You just have to be good enough. And in terms, of, terms of athleticism, in terms of um, you know physical capabilities, you just need to be good enough. And I think, I think, if if you you bring in a bunch of smart guys like Parham, their third round draft pick, because they spent so much draft capital to bring in Devontae Adams, um, if he can just absorb the system that they're going to be running offensively, and he's a good enough athlete, it's going to work. Because you already have a lot of boxes checked around this offense. You know, you got Derek Carr, who's been in this league for a very long time, very, very talented quarterback, and, and has a full offseason now with Josh McDaniels to sort of meld their offensive minds together and find out what works best for this team. Um, yeah, so, you know, up front, the most important thing is for everybody to be on the same page and have players who are smart enough to handle that. And if they, if they, if they've drafted well here and if they pepper in some trades or free agents over the next season or so, we could see, you know, New England West, 
you know, on the second stint here with McDaniels. I'm excited to see what this all looks like. Rich, uh, the Raiders did draft a, uh, in the first round last year Alex Leatherwood. Um, he switched positions. He was drafted as a right tackle, ultimately moved to right guard for various reasons. He struggled. Uh, the run blocking was was pretty good at times, sometimes pretty darn good. Uh, the pass blocking, not so much. He definitely needs to work on that. Um, you made the transition going from college to the NFL. In his case, Alex's case, uh, he gets dropped in at right tackle, then gets moved to right guard, still played 18 games, including a playoff game, which counts for something. Um, can you talk a little bit about just sometimes the difficulty going from pros or college to the pros and, and especially not only you know making a position switch like Alex did and the, um, the, you know, the hope that, you know what, there's still time for him to get better, and historically that, that's usually what happens with offensive linemen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Look, here's the deal. Is he going to be considered, you know, Leatherwood? Is he going to be considered a bust if he doesn't end up playing a tackle position? Yeah, maybe by some people. But if he can have a successful career as a guard, um, if, if moving inside ends up being the answer for him and another year under his belt ends up sort of calming the waters a little bit, I, I think two years, three years departed from the draft, we're going to look a lot more kindly at that pick. It's a really difficult transition, and it doesn't matter what position you play across the offensive line, whether it be you know center or one of the guard spots or one of the tackle positions. It's all difficult for three reasons, and, and the most important one is because all of a sudden you are a very small fish in a huge pond. You're talking about playing against 10-year pros, all you know, Americans, you know, eight years departed from their college experience who have been able to hone their craft um, every single year, getting better and better and better, making Pro Bowls. And, you know, it, the, the, the moves up front are lightning fast. You just don't have time to think. And so the game starts to slow down in year two. And frankly, just speaking from my own playing per- experience professionally, it didn't really start slowing down in earnest until year three that's when i could truly i could truly feel comfortable that i could hang physically and from a speed standpoint with what i was seeing in front of me from an athletic standpoint and i could just really concentrate on on grasping the playbook and and broadening my my focus like when when you're just worried about the guy in front of you it's very difficult to see what's happening at the linebacker level to see what What's happening at the safety level, you know, where the safeties are rotated down and they're bringing blitz to the strong side or the weak side. I mean, it gets really confusing really fast. So I'm sure he was inundated. He was thrown right into the action. Let's give him another year to marinate. He's going to be learning a new offense. And hopefully by year three, um, by next season, he becomes what everybody hoped he would be in year one as a first-round draft pick. But we'll see. Um, it's a, a huge learning curve, though, Vinny. I mean, it really is for everybody, and it doesn't matter where you're drafted. For some guys, it clicks faster, but either way, it's a big learning curve. Yeah, we're talking to Rich Ornberger, the former uh, 
Penn State University, Patriots, Cardinals, Chargers. Uh, he currently works for uh, Extra 1360 in San Diego, also Fox Sports Radio. Uh, works for, uh, you know, does some uh, San Diego State University football analysts and uh, an analyst for NBC uh, San Diego. Uh, Rich, um, you know, when you look at what the Chargers did defensively uh, in the draft um, and, and in free agency, uh, Brandon Staley obviously is a defensive-minded coach. Um, you figured that at some point he was going to address the defense, uh, and he certainly did. But how much also um, is that – well, how much of it is him kind of making that defense, uh, you know, under his microscope and his vision, but also kind of a reaction – to the to the division that he plays against, and all those great quarterbacks that he's going to have to try to defend, and all and the great offenses that they have to match up against. Oh, I mean that that you you kind of you kind of answered your own question because that's exactly that's exactly what's happening. If you're a general manager, you got to mind your own backyard, but you also have to look over the fence. You know, you you have to make sure that you're keeping up with the Joneses. You know, this isn't a situation where you know you can just say, hey, you know what, we're doing okay over here. You know, we got couple of nice place, uh, players and a couple of nice positions and you know we're just gonna we're gonna go ahead and see how this goes when we start rolling the dice for real no 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 you got to see that the denver broncos just acquired russell wilson you got to see that you're competing with a potential hall of famer already and only year four starting in patrick mahomes you got to understand that Derek carr and the raiders have just reloaded this offense to the tune of a, a dynamic duo we haven't seen since potentially, and I don't want to overstate it, but Tom Brady and Randy Moss. Wow! I mean that you you could see you could see Derek Carr with the built-in chemistry that he's already has with Devontae Adams exploding this season. They got to keep him upright. They got to make sure that he doesn't get a ton of pressure sent his way. But if they can handle that, I mean the Raiders going to be dangerous. So yeah, I think that had a lot to do with the reason why the Chargers went heavy on defense in trade and free agency, signing J.C. Jackson, the corner position, really takes care of one side of the field. He's fantastic. And then Khalil Mack, not just for what he can do to affect the passer, but also what he does in the run game. And the Chargers' run defense was atrocious last year. So that's the hope, is that they shored up um, all of the holes in their defensive system, and Brandon Staley could have a better representation of, of himself defensively next season. Because as a defensive coordinator with the Rams, I, he looked incredible. But as a head coach, he had a defense that couldn't get off the field on third down and couldn't stop anybody on the ground. Yeah, and uh, not having a guy by the name of Aaron Donald uh, probably helps or, or hurts a little bit in that regard. Uh, sometimes the players uh, make the ultimate determination as far as that uh, all goes, but he's definitely loading up on defense, and I think that we're going to see that improve uh, this year. All right, last question for you, Rich. Uh, you look at Kansas City, they, they lost Tyreek Hill. Uh, they've tried to supplement, adding some new different kind of wide receivers and um, you know trying to do it in a different way. They're stripping down the defense, trying to get that fixed, but um, I, I just think it's going to be difficult for them to be able to replace what Tyreek Hill gave them. He's one of the most unique players in the NFL. Uh, I get and I understand why they made the move that they did, but at the same time, how long could it take them to get that figured out? And are we just going to look at a different Chiefs team and how they go about things offensively without such a big dynamic weapon? I mean, it is going to be a vastly different year offensively for the Kansas City Chiefs. When you take away uh, a playmaker who can truly take the top off of defense the way Tyreek Hill can, I mean, you, you change the complexity of the offense altogether. 
I mean, we'll see what it ends up looking like. You know, I, I mean, they add some speed in the draft, and and uh, it, it's possible that Andy Reid can readjust things without Hill. But that's a special player, man. I mean, there are a couple of guys in NFL history who are as fast as Tyreek Hill, but also as capable of catching the football on the run the way he was. You know, we've seen it a million times before, the burner out of college who flames out at the NFL level because he can't catch the contested uh, ball. You know, he can't go up and come down with it. That's never been a problem for Tyreek Hill. So how do you replace that production? I don't have the answer right now, and I'm not 100% certain they have that answer on their roster. So it's going to come down to Andy Reid's creativity. It's going to come down to Patrick Mahomes' veteran presence. And they're going to have to get used to the idea, more used to the idea, as they did last season, about taking what the defense gives them. That was a real struggle for Patrick Mahomes a year ago. He, he, when, when teams didn't blitz and they played coverage and they forced him to throw underneath, he really struggled because he got impatient. He wanted to have the high-flying offense. Well, guess what? Without Tyreek Hill, you're taking away that deep threat uh, uh, aspect. In, in a huge way, and if it is a, as big of a detriment to this Chiefs offense as I think it will be, it could take a few weeks, if not longer, for Mahomes and Reed and the offense to really gel around the pieces they have. I'm very curious how this Kansas City Chiefs offense looks without Tyree Kill. And I can imagine that there's 31 other fan bases uh, that, that hear you going, ah, oh well, sorry, sorry Kansas City. I don't think anyone is feeling sorry for the Kansas City Chiefs, nor should they. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, with Andy Reid and with Patrick Mahomes, it's just hard for me sitting here, and I, I completely agree with everything that you just said. It's difficult still for me to say, yeah, they're going to be uh, a team not to be contended with. I still think that they are, and that's how good Patrick Mahomes is and Andy Reid and Kelsey and everyone else that they got going over there. But it will probably look, and I know it will look, a whole lot different, and nobody feels sorry for the Kansas City Chiefs about <laughs> that, uh, certainly. Hey, Rich, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the insight, as always, and we'll check with you down the road, man. Sounds great, Vinny. Talk soon. All righty. Rich Ornberger, the former NFL offensive lineman with the Patriots, the Cardinals, and the Chargers, always does great work uh, and and knows the game inside and out. We truly appreciate his insight. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You know, the thing is, uh, I hate getting in trouble for things that, like, you know, you get in trouble, you do things, you know, whatever. But it's when you don't and you get, yeah. We're talking about the NBA and whatever the suspension is going to be for Dylan Brooks. What do you think it's going to be? You think it'll be a suspension? There's no suspension. You can't take him out of it. It could be a suspension that starts next season. If I'm doing a suspension, it'd be for You think he should get suspended for real? Uh, they, they probably will. I would think that there's going to be some sort of a, uh, uh, what else is there? A fine, maybe a big fine, I guess. Yeah. You know, because you can't, you can't. And, and, and I know that he's not a dirty player at all. I'm not saying that, um, but there's and and Steve Kerr kind of hinted on it. You know, the, he he what did he call it? Uh, 
He betrayed There's the a coach. Code. Yeah. What is this baseball? Well, you c- kind of is that. Look, if I go up like that, I gotta have trust in my colleagues, and at the end of the day, they're they're opponents, but they're also colleagues. They're all in the same fraternity. You have to have trust that the other guy's gonna handle himself. Yeah, I don't know. Correctly. Steve Kerr. I'm tired of hearing about from Steve Kerr. Someone hurts one of the players on his. You gotta stick up for your guys. But something like, oh, someone like rolls stiff ankle, and it's just like, come on, this game, this game is more important than this. These <laughs> players should have a brotherhood. Draymond does something, and it's, hey, man, our guys are out there playing hard. But if somebody like looks at Steph's ankle wrong, it's there's a code to this game. By the way, did there's you so see... much respect that needs to be played. Yeah. This is a brotherhood. Yeah, yeah. Shut I up. don't, I don't like. I remember, I remember when I was covering the Dodgers and they were playing the Cardinals, and we were in St. Louis. It's during the playoffs, and the Cardinals are all mad at. Um, Adrian Gonzalez, because his, he is a huge Disneyland fan, and he had a bunch of daughters, and they were huge Disneyland fans, too. So whenever he got a hit or a big play, he would do the Mickey Mouse uh, ears. You know, just it was almost him to his wife. You know, his teammates got into it, too. And so all the Cardinals were all up in arms about the betrayal of the, the you know, and, and, and I'm talking to Adrian uh, in the dugout one day before one of the games. He's like, watch what they do. You don't think that they're celebrating when they score a run, getting up safe and doing all that? It's, it's, it's always convenient. Convenient to argue against the other guy when you're basically doing the same thing. It might be a different way, but it's the same thing. Especially running up the score. When someone's when the score gets run up on your team, it's there's no place for that in the game. You know, the game's already in hand. They didn't need to score right. another time. Right. But then if you if the shoe's on the other foot, hey, you got to play until the last whistle. No lead safe. <laughs> right. <enough>. Exactly. <laughs> It, well, in the NBA, you, you do have that. You dribble it out when there's about 10 seconds left. That's just the right thing to do because, you know, most guys that get. And plus, you don't want to, the other part, you don't want to give anybody, especially in a series, anything, any little thing to. That uh, did happen last night with the Grizzlies because they were up about like eight points. I don't remember the final score eight, of the game. Okay. Oh, uh, no, maybe they won by six or something, but it yeah. doesn't matter because they, they had like just a leak out of they didn't get the foul. Right. And then, it, but yeah. Zaire Williams, he didn't take the easy dunk, he just kept dribbling it. Something that's even know, better. I like that. We're like, nah, I'm not going to. I don't need to. We've already been yeah, there. Was the game's over. To, <laughs> there was definitely enough time to get that dunk in and <laughs> yeah. you know, have it count in the stat book and not have to worry exactly. about it. I want to say thanks to Bill Williamson. Thanks to Rich Ornberger. Uh, thanks to Benjamin Albright. Big, huge treat tomorrow. Darren Waller will be joining us in the huddle uh, at 4 o'clock uh, at the top of the show. He's doing so many tremendous things off the field to help the community and help people that really need uh, help. And we're going to talk to Darren about everything that he's doing, and uh, we're looking forward to that. So tune in tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. at the top of the hour, Darren Waller. Uh, Thanks to Devon Cotton, our great producer. Great show today. Uh, We'll check back in with you tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador.